I'm Kate Kerrigan. And I'm Brian Loudermilk, and you're listening to Musical World. Hi, this is Greg Coppin. I'm the composer of Convenience, Five Course Love, and the upcoming Right Next to Me. And you're listening to Musical World. Hi, this is Sam and Derek, Carter and Gregor. And you're listening to Musical World. Hey, this is Julie Murney, and you are listening to Musical World. Hey, I'm Stephen Cole, the mayor of Musical World, who has been to the Middle East and done musicals. <laughs> it's time to listen to Musical World. This is Amy Lee. And this is Stephen Lee. And we're the writers of A Higher Place. And you're listening to Musical World. Shadows light the room, you were here. I can taste an earthly prayer, your comfort in my troubled ear. Left the door ajar to look around You say I'm never lost But then I'm hardly found Nothing but a fright Time and time again I find my feet left Dripping on the floor Nothing but a tired excuse All the wasted moments Seem like years gone by Still I try to make mine Nothing but a, a tired excuse 
Approaching episode 100, so where are we? This is 96. Is it 96? This will be 96, okay, I believe. Then, then it's 96, Dave. Oh my gosh, episode 96. We are ever approaching the 100th episode of Musical World. Yeah, you guys so didn't exciting. make the cut. I know, not We're quite not number there. 100? You're leading Dude. up to 100. <laughs> I'm out of here. Our guests today are songwriters, singer-songwriters and musicians, and just great people extraordinaire. Amy and Steve Lee. Welcome, Amy and Steve. But we're kind of their guest. We're kind of their guest. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome, Musical World listeners, to our home. We we are in Leland. We are in Leland, yes. Welcome to the home of Amy and Steve Lee. (laughs) She walked, she talked. Well, that was creepy. it wasn't creepy like the first song. I mean, the first song wasn't creepy. No, it wasn't creepy. We were, we're just coming out of... Good segue, Jim. Um, Speaking of the We're just coming out of a song that you just heard called Nothing But Afraid that's written and performed by Amy Lee from her first CD, Tip of My Tongue. And we're talking to both songwriters today, Amy and Steve Lee. And yes, they are married. They are not brother and sister. Thank you for that clarification. That's true. Let's so. clarify that from the get go. There, there was some question. <laughs> well, I, who knows? If people hear Amy and Steve Lee, they don't know them. That's true. Yeah, okay. That was awkward. Let's yep. move on. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for causing. And on that note. Yep. Thanks for causing an editable moment. Appreciate it. Oh no, that's staying in. <laughs> so my first question, and honestly, this question is usually answered the same way by most of the people we interview, mm-hmm. and for you, it won't be. Uh-uh. But what's your? How did you come about um, songwriting individually and original music production individually, and then together as well? Um, we were just talking about that, how it was kind of strange. Steve and I have known each other since we were like 18, 19, um, and we met in college. But for quite a while, we existed in sort of separate spheres of music writing, where we met doing theater, doing musical theater and singing together. So we did that. But when it came to writing, I was very focused on um, sort of the singer-songwriterly world. And Steve was more into film composing at the time. Yeah. True. Right? Mm-hmm. Would you like to expound, Mr. Lee? Um, sure. So, uh, yeah, I was um, pursuing... I, w- I ended up... Started out majoring in musical theater, ended up majoring in music composition, and um, started to become a little disillusioned with musical theater, and it wasn't even theater's fault. It was more experiences at the time, but... As a performer. Right? Yes, oh, uh, okay. as a performer. And so started kind of going into music composing and then sort of getting interested in film composing, and so that was kind of my focus for a long time. 
And so Amy and I were working on music kind of all the time, and people would say, oh, it must be so great that you guys, you know, are together, and you're such good singers and you're performers. You guys must sing and play together all the time. And everybody's, you know, picturing us, like, gathered around the spinet, you know. <laughs> just doing, like, love songs every night and stuff. And, and, it, and it was kind of like... We really didn't do that. Yeah, and it's sort of like, uh, no, we actually don't do that at all. Um, but, side note, I will, I will say this, that the way we actually... I mean, we met at... We we met the very first time we met was on my birthday at auditions for the musical theater program for our university. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way we actually met again once we were college freshmen and started getting to know each other was my campus job was to play piano for voice lessons for people. Oh, that's sure. that's how I earned a little extra money for books and whatever. But it was my job to drum up business. I had to do it myself. The university didn't say you're playing for this set of students. I had to go out and. You know, make oh, sure really? that you had to get the paper with the little scripts at the bottom of your phone. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, kind of thing, yeah. and schedule up my my free time. So um, I was approaching everyone I knew who was a singer, saying, you know, can I come accompany your lessons? So the university would pay me to do that. And um, Steve was the very first person who asked me to accompany his his voice lesson. And um, you didn't so really it, want a voice lesson, did you? No, uh, maybe. We'll see. This is where we place something sappy underneath. Something very French. Something French. Strings and accordion in the and background. I, I heard his voice, and I was like, "Who is this guy?" <laughs> and and you know, so from that point on, we did a lot of practicing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> The, the the rating on our episode just went up. Didn't well, it? I think it was very subtle. Oh, okay. So we're okay. We're still in PG land. Yeah. Okay. So what was the impetus for tip of my tongue? I mean, what was the writing process, and what? Why do a CD, and why then? Tip of my tongue gathered together, um, sort of all of my early efforts at songwriting, and they're all sort of in the pop folk world. Um, growing up, I was very influenced by the likes of um, like Tori Amos, Sarah McLaughlin, and all of the sort of the piano pop mistresses of mm-hmm. the world. And so I just kind of wrote on the piano as long as I could remember. And it was always stuff for me. I never really conceived of anyone else singing my music. So I just wrote for, for myself at that point. Okay. And, um, you know... A lot of that was written you know, late high school and then through college. And then right after college, Steve and I both went to Nashville and ended up living there for several years. And that was a great sort of schooling in the craft of songwriting. And so a lot of songs on tip of my tongue came from those first few years in Nashville where we were you know, going out and listening to music a lot, kind of living more amongst songwriters and just being in that vibe a little bit more and I was really taking focused time for the first time in my life to craft songs and then um, you know being in Nashville knowing some people at Belmont University which is also where my brother attended college at the time um, and my brother Michael Schaup he helped produce the album you know, things just kind of conspired to come together and be able to record all of these songs. So that's what we did. It was a, a long and arduous process because I knew nothing or very little about recording at that time. 
So I had to kind of depend on the people around me who knew more what they were doing, but it was very exciting and cool. And um, thus, tip of my tongue. So we're about to play a track from Tip of My Tongue called Nickel and a Dime. You want to set that up for us or tell us a little bit about that piece? Sure. Uh, I guess the impetus for Nickel and a Dime came when um, early in our Nashville years, I was in a room looking at a picture on a shelf, and it was a picture of a sky that my freshman year college roommate had taken and framed for me. And I still had that picture out. And as I, as I was sitting there, this was years after college, looking at that picture, I realized that I hadn't spoken to her in probably five years. And it just made me think about um, the relationships that we can have with people, you know, in a moment and then the, how they can fall away or not. Mm -hmm. And um, that just kind of is where nickel and a dime spring. From Amy Lee's CD, Tip of My Tongue, this is Nickel and a Dime. There's a picture that you took In a frame you gave Sits on my chest of drawers and Nickel and a dime, nickel and a 
That was Amy Lee, songwriter and performer on Nickel and a Dime. And I do want to mention also that Vince Romanelli was on percussion, and that track was produced by Michael Shop, who happens to be my brother. Was uh, was this this was recorded in Nashville? Twas. So, like a. There's studios everywhere down there. Mm-hmm. Was this like somebody's living room studio, or was this a studio? Uh, we bounced around a little bit because okay. we were trying to get some cheap studio some time where we could. To be honest, a lot of it was done. I um, was teaching piano lessons at the time, and one of my students' father owned a recording studio. And mm. I said, hey, what would you think if I gave you free piano lessons, your son free piano lessons for a while? Would you let us come in and record some stuff? And so we recorded... All but, I think, two songs on Tip of My Tongue um, over, I want to say, a 24-hour period where we had it We had it overnight. And I think we I was either 24 or 48 hours. I'm not sure which. But I, we brought in our own um, sound guy, and we had the use of the whole studio for... Wow. Grand piano. It was, nice. And it was over. It was the week bef- between Christmas and New Year's. And that's why it was kind of a sure, slow time, open, sure. slow right. time for them. Right. So and this it was worked a, out great. This was a serious Nashville studio. It was uh, gold records on the wall of like Randy Travis or something. I don't cool. know. So yeah, you know, yeah, it was yeah, pretty. Deal. It was an experience for sure. Yeah. That's right. Cool. It was cool. So uh, being on the other side of a CD produced in Nashville, would you recommend Nashville as a location for budding songwriters? Um, it depends somewhat on what genre you're in a little bit. I mean. I would say people think that, you know, if you're a country singer, you should go there. I think, in in a way, it's harder with the country because I think the country part of everything in Nashville has gotten so commercialized that it's all kind of the big, that's sort of the big part of Nashville. But if you go there and you want to be a rock band or you go there and you want to be like a jazz group or something like that, sure. I think that actually is maybe easier there. And it is Music City. I mean, I was a little hesitant about going down there because I'm not really a country music fan at all. Yeah, neither am I. And I, and I thought, why would I want to be in Nashville? In the center of, you know, but really it is, I mean, it's called, they call it Music City and it really is. It's very diverse. Right. And um, I, think it's, I think it is generally a really great place for songwriters. There are so many performance venues there and you know, a lot of them just kind of off-Broadway and out of the way that are great places to kind of develop. You know, country country singers, I think, go and try to get in the Bluebird Cafe there, mm-hmm. and you're never going to get in there. We went through that process. That's not well, true. That's not true. But it's not, what's but great about Bluebird is that Bluebird and quite a few other venues there is that they're developed as listening rooms. Where it's not a smoky bar where you have to go right, and no one's right. listening to your music, or you, or you're forced, or you, you know, you have to play covers to keep people's attention. You know, there are places there where people want to go for the sole purpose of hearing new work, mm-hmm. and you that's know, rare. That doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah. So I applaud them. For, so it's you know. it's it's a really cool environment, and as intimidating as it can sound to try to break into, you know, a music industry that has an influx of people who want to get rich and famous every single day coming down there, you know, we found the music community to be really friendly and open and helpful and wanting to just kind of do whatever they could to to educate us and help us along. So right. Yeah, and it's the sort of atmosphere where everybody kind of knows everybody. And so, you know, it's, I mean, especially when you're, I mean, obviously, you know, on the on the big level of, you know, 
Clint Black and people like that. It's a whole different world, but if you're kind of a sort of an independent artist, I think a lot of people know each other and, you know, help each other and support each other. So I, it's, I think it's a, a pretty good place to kind of develop. And it's, it's a lovely town. I mean, we, you know, we love living down there mm-hmm. for, for the six years that we were there. So musical theater, mm-hmm. much like a meth habit, came back <laughs> into your life. <laughs> Has it constantly just like, hard? Just, <laughs> just like. Just like. <laughs> so. It never really left. For for me, yeah, okay, I, I will yeah. say it never it never ever left. Even when I wasn't, you know, I've I've been a performing musical since I was ten years old, and get kind of soaked that up from the time that I was very young, and you know, studied musical theater in college, you know, performed some regional theaters when we were in Nashville, but wasn't really there to do that. In my estimation, I was there to develop songwriting. So I kind of, you know, I did let musical theater fall by the wayside a little bit. And I think, you know, Steve especially was finding a community of independent um, filmmakers and working with them to develop composing for film. And so we both had these different directions that we were focused on. Mm -hmm. Neither of them really in the realm of musical theater. Except for, you know, when something like that is in your blood. I mean, I would have days when I would just kind of wander through the house going, I need to be in a musical. <laughs> Jim does that all the time. Oh, yeah. Jim, Jim, you need to be in a musical. Jim's like, someone's doing Annie. I have to be Warbucks. <laughs> Morbucks. <laughs> Daddy Morbucks. So, so it never really leaves you. So we're, 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 we're going to play several tunes. You're going to do one live coming up, listeners. Stay tuned. Um, from a musical called A Higher Place. So, right. talk a little bit about what, why write a musical now. I mean, what what sort of drove the the impetus for that, um, and what's your what's your sort of assessment on the industry? You know, coming back to it now as a songwriter mm-hmm. for the stage. Let's say. Well, we um, we moved back to Dayton and discovered to our great pleasure that there was a lot going on here in the way of theater and culturally that, you know, I mean, we didn't really know what to expect. We came to Dayton after Nashville for a while because we have family here. And And we are from here originally. I don't know if we said that. We we discovered among other some other theater companies, Encore Theater Company, you guys. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard of them. Right? Right, <laughs> <laughs> and started started working with with you, and um, through that just started I don't know getting really excited about musical theater again, and knowing that there was this development process that was happening because before you know I considered writing for musical theater, but I didn't I had no clue how that was done, how work was developed, how anyone could even get started in that process. Well, and so I think see- we I think we were kind of we sort of thought that you had to be in New York to do that anyway, and so yeah. we thought, well, we're never we're never. I mean, as much as we'd love to write a musical or something, and we'd kind of talk about it, it was sort of like, well, we're never going to do that because we don't want to live in New York necessarily. Yeah, it didn't feel like we had the resources really to mm-hmm. do anything with it, and ah, oh, but not so. Yeah, it's, it's correct. But not so. Yeah. And being more involved with Encore, you know, that was such a great sort of energizing process. And at the same time, Steve and I were looking at each other like, okay, we, you know, we're we've been living in our sort of separate musical worlds. Let's come together and try to write something together. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so we were sitting. And this is like after six or seven years, you really hadn't written you know and we had sat down and tried a couple times you know like i would do a lyric here and there because you know i i write other stuff poetry and and i would i would try to write something or yeah you know we collaborated a little bit where here and he'd, there. he'd underscore some of my poems and but we never really got to the point where actual songs were being written mm-hmm. and you know and mm. finished and we worked, I mean, we played in bands together all the time. We, you know, we played music at our church every week in Nashville. And, but we didn't, so the music part was there, but the, the writing never really happened until we were back here in Dayton. And um, we, we started talking about writing together. And both of us were really interested in writing for musical theater. And we were sitting at Blind Bob's at an Encore Theater Company um, night, you know, kind of featured night at Blind Bob's. Our third Monday of every month at Blind Bob's (laughs) in the beautiful downtown Oregon district. Shameless plug. (laughs) (laughs) Thought I'd bring that up. Be there or be square. And And I wish I could say you're the first guest to mention Blind Bob's, but you're so not. (laughs) Like, easily four or five. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All of them that we brought in from out of town. They all talk about Blind Bob's. Yeah. Um, but we sat there and, you know, we had an initial idea for a musical that was very grand on sort of an epic scale that we wanted to do. And it was it was something that seemed very unreachable at that time. And Steve, you know, we were kind of stressing over that. How are we going to even begin? And Steve basically looked at me and he said, let's try this. Let's write a musical with a few people in it with songs that we know how to write and people that are real people on a stage that you know is easy to block you don't need a lot of sets or costumes just something that's about the story and Mm -hmm. about the connection of the characters and i was like yeah i can do that (laughs) (laughs) let's start there some place to start anyway yeah yeah. yeah. and also i kind of boiled it down this sort of idea of it was too then we use that as kind of a learning process like even if even if this show doesn't go anywhere particularly and it's not you know our breakthrough show or something it gives us that we at least will have written a show We'll have learned what it takes to write a show. Maybe we can get a couple of productions, and we'll kind of learn from that. And then that'll prepare us for something bigger or whatever else we want to do. But trying to jump into the kind of grand, you know, idea that we were having just would be probably way too difficult for kind of a first-time uh, duo, you know, or trio as it became. But, but that's the that's the rest of the story. Yeah, and we we went from there, and actually. Um the idea that we were having, we got to be really excited about. And basically what A Higher Place is, is a show about four people who are each facing their own individual struggles. And through their connection with each other, um, aim to kind of rise above whatever they're going through. And the third element for the show was when we started working with David Brush. Um, host, co-host of Musical World, <laughs> sitting right here in the living room, and um, David had brought up the idea of co-writing to me before, and we had collaborated on a song or two together, just him and I, mm-hmm. and um, and they were not originally intended to be, you know, they were just standalone songs, not necessarily a part of anything larger, mm-hmm. and 
Steve and I, at, at the same time, Steve and I were getting very excited about A Higher Place and what the show could develop into. And so we shared that with David and, and um, all three of us talked about it and we brought him on as a third collaborator. So David then became lyricist and um, contributor on many levels to A Higher Place as well. Well, and I, I will mention that what excited me about the pitch was that it was it was about four people with uniquely individual circumstances, mm-hmm. but for everyone, that's what we're always searching for, right? Is mm-hmm. is to achieve yep. you know that that place wherein um, you know that higher place, that mm-hmm. next level, mm-hmm. and so the question in the show, I think that I think is great, is is that what we'll always do? Will we always just seek a next level, or is there a contentment factor, or what have you? Yeah. Now that there's something mm. sort of contemporary about that and modern, and and your then the songwriting was so smart and so new, and being in the field, we hear a lot, so we know what's being written. Right. And so I would hear a piece that you would write, and I'd say, no one's writing like that for the stage. Like no <laughs> one's doing that. Yeah. You know, that's so yeah. exciting because no one's doing that and taking that and and moving it to that form in a smart way. So we're going to play two songs back to back. In fact, you're premiering them on Musical World. Is that correct? I think we kind of are. We, we've done them in concert before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except, oh, yeah, yeah. except yeah. for the concerts. Except for the concerts, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. So there are two pieces we're going to play back to back. The first is Everest, and the second is I Know Better Than That. Do you want to set up Everest, and we'll talk about the other after. Sure, yeah. Um, Everest is, I believe, the first song that the three of us, Steve, myself, and David, worked on together and it was a fun sort of the three of us in a room going nuts because <laughs> we were all talking over each other and we mm-hmm. were very excited but Everest was what resulted from that and um, this is sung as part of a concert series that we did last year and the, the performer is Zach Steele. From a higher place this is Everest. So I heard about this kid he was maybe 13 and he wanted to climb all the highest mountains and by the time he was 10 he had climbed his first three and everyone was amazed he'd turn a phrase a word of praise and all I could think Screw him in comparison. I'm an idiot. I can't even tell you how long. But then I thought, well, maybe this kid is on to something. I haven't spent a lot of time setting winning goals. I would say if I was scared of nothing, I'd get out of my own way and let go. I would climb, I would climb, and this climb would be my own mountain peak. This will be my Everest. Sometimes I think life could Without the insecurities, the social ambiguity. 
ambiguities with confidence that seeps from every pore since I met you I'm trying to stop being so afraid it's then a mountain seems surmountable and anything is possible if only for a moment then it's gone try to step in tell me I'm not an idiot just need to start slow So this is what I'm thinking I'll take a new step each day Say hi to Mrs. Pearson Living down the street Tomorrow at the grocery aisle Smile at a stranger Instead of always staring at my feet I will climb, I will climb, and this climb will be my own mountain peak. Scale the heights of doubt and shame with every step I take. And each move brings me closer to another higher place. Each mountain climb makes the next one seem okay. I'd be on my way, just like that kid. And from the highest peak I'd see There's another mountain that waves Damn it, that's depressing But also kinda cool I'll take a breath and rest Letting air into my chest Excited that the best is still to come Step by step, and one by one, my next stop, Everest. Hi, I'm Ryan Cunningham. And I'm Joshua Salford. And we're the writers of I Love You Because, and you're listening to Musical World.
The second track you heard there was also from A Higher Place. It's called I Know Better Than That. Uh, who's singing on that, Amy? Uh, I am singing that track. Can't and... you tell? <laughs> <laughs> that was Sorry. for our listeners, Jim. Sorry about oh, that. Oh. And um, Nikki Imes was on the piano. And uh, any other thoughts on that piece in particular? Uh, that is the first piece that David, you and I wrote together. That's and right. I, I remember when you asked me to co-write, and we just met in a room in the ETC offices, and um, and you just handed me the lyric and. You know, we talked about it a little bit, but then I came home and, and started looking at it, and I was like, this is awesome. And it just kind of went from there. You, it was a very sort of rare circumstance because I haven't – I've co-written some, but it usually happens in the room. It's usually sort of a collaboration that happens live. And you, what you gave me was pretty much a finished lyric. And I wrote to that, and it just clicked really well. Yeah, but don't you think that's true? I mean, don't you think there's a misconception that – Songs get written in the room with two people around a piano. Oh, I don't think it, it definitely is with me. That way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, or, or maybe that isn't. A, is that a misconception? I don't know. I mean, that's not how most of my. How many songs have we written? And there's been maybe. I'd say ninety percent of what we've written. One or two in, in the yeah. same yeah. room. Right. I mean, yeah. And and that's the way it is with everybody is I work with. Is well, that an old think, style of music writing, or is that? Well, just, you know, I think some of it doesn't it sort of come from like movies where you see like these, you know, these two musical writers sitting at a piano working on the thing, making it you know, because it's smoking more, a cigarette. And, yeah, because yeah. it looks great in movies. But I think it makes sense if you really think about it, though, because um, you know, as a lyricist, you're a writer, and you know, a writer is not going to. You don't, you know, your picture of a writer is not someone who's like sitting there talking to someone and talking out a book and then writing it down. A writer usually goes off on their own and they sit there with their thoughts and they write, you know, the lyrics or they write a book or well, whatever and, they're doing. So it makes maybe sense. It was back then. Maybe it was done that way because right. You, maybe they didn't even have a telephone. I don't know. But sure. They definitely didn't have internet and Skype and. Mm-hmm. Everything else that makes it amazing easy. about it. I mean, you watch like Richard Rodgers and Oscar Hammerstein sitting in a room around a grand piano, mm-hmm. right, and there is something right. sort of romantic about the concept of that sort of writing. Sure. Yeah, but, and, and Norman Rockwell pictures are all standing around the piano. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. You're right. There's a romantic notion. Yeah, about sure. Right. But, I, but I thought about that, Jim, with you. I mean, even when we would write, I would say, like, if we were, I, I couldn't start a song with you in the room, because <laughs> because I. It, it wasn't there. Like, you can play the most beautiful melody in the world, and it doesn't matter. Like, I have to come in with a concept, right, and right. you have to come in with a concept, right. and then the process can sort of unfold. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you find that's true now that you're sort of newly writing with each other? Do you think that's true? I think and you're you, right. And, and you don't have a lot of rooms to go to? <laughs> you commenting on the smallness of our house. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I do think that you have to have some initial thought for it, you know, but something that it can kind of drop in whenever, you know, and you bring it with you. But there's something about being in the room that, I don't know, for me in the past, I think it's happened pretty frequently where it's that you get that inspiration factor where, you you know, you click with the person and you start moving on it. Now, do you finish the song in the room? No. I mean, that that I think is very rare. But I think there's something about the movement of ideas between people in the room together 
where I don't know you're melding auras or something, right. but <laughs> but you know your your energy feeds off each other in a really positive way, and that that's enough to get you going, and then you go off and work on the music side or work on the lyric side and come yeah. back together later or whatever. Yeah, and I think um, what I was kind of getting at before too, like with the, with a writer taking their own time, to, you know, and I think any artist needs a little bit of just sort of their own time to focus on their part of it. So I think it makes sense that. You know, different people certainly do it different ways. I'm sure there are plenty of people who do it together in a room. But, you know, I think a lot of people, at least part of the process is probably going to be separate. Because you want to, you know, for me, I know if I've got somebody like watching, looking over my shoulder, I'm not going to create the best art. I'm not going to write the best music. So... You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I may share uh, an idea. I stop that tactic. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you creep me out. Um, no, but, you know, and, and so, you know, you may start an idea and you may talk with it. And then, you know, somebody leaves the room for a while and then you, you know, play with that melody a while and then you come back. And, you know, I think, so I think it just flows a lot of the time. I so think, it's, I think it's a combination of both. What's your, do, do you know in the room when a song's going wrong? Do you know when you're like, stop? <laughs> like I've got to go back to the beginning. Um, this is not the right direction. Well, I think Amy and I actually sort of. Well, sort of. I'll say sort of because <laughs> he's speaking very. He's choosing his words very yeah. carefully here. <laughs> a wise man. <laughs> well, no, just a married one. <laughs> what's funny is I think because because Amy and I do work on the music a lot together and. Um, it's funny because we're both so, we get so enthusiastic, but so impatient mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so one of us will try something. No, 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 that's not it. No, no, stop that. And it's like, well, wait, I haven't even, that's not even what I meant to do yet. And, you know, and so we're jumping, we're jumping on each other to, you know, no, 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 that's not, that's not the chord. That's not the chord. And it's like, I know, but I'm still trying to find the chord. It's and, in that desperate place where you're trying to get what's in your head. Right. Are you both working at piano or you're on, you're on oh, piano? Yeah. There have been times where we're both yeah. at the piano, and I'll literally like scoot over, scoot <laughs> over. No, it's this. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. And what what helps us a little bit um, is that my piano chops are nowhere near as good as Amy's. So I do pretty much. I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time at the keys. So a lot of times, even when we're writing. I'll just be kind of like, you know, singing a melody, singing a line to her, just like, no, 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 it needs to go to, uh, you know, da, 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 you know, and then she's finding that, and then, and so mm-hmm. we kind of do it all, almost like, like that a lot. No, 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 make that a diminished chord. Right. Okay, there it is. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I, I'm just not that good of a pianist, and, and she's amazing. But, but you so. know music enough to right. know where right. to tell her, and you know actually, where to tell her to go. And actually, I'll tell you, for me, um, a lot of times when, when I have a musical idea in my head and then I try to get it out with my hands on a piano, um, a lot of times I struggle with it and I kind of lose it. And so it actually helps me to kind of just keep it in my head and sort of translate it to her a little bit and not have to kind of go into that, you know, left so brain working with my hands kind of thing, which sure. is nice. So You know, I think what's great, though, I mean... Because piano is not your first instrument, mm-hmm. you can find things on the piano that a pianist wouldn't normally do. Right. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that's the same reason that I that I try to write on guitar sometimes because the guitar is not my instrument. Right. And you do things, and a guitarist would be like, "That's kind of weird," but for the song, I mean, it serves the song in some way. Steve has has done that really 
in a really lovely way. Actually, with yeah, the I next kinda, song that we're going to hear. Huh. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, I think I kind of think outside the box a little because yeah. I just hear it in my head. And I don't, you know, sometimes as a pianist, you may sit down at the piano and your hands kind of go to where they would normally, you know, you get into those patterns. And I know that I definitely do that with guitar because I'm mainly a guitarist. And I know I definitely do that on guitar. You know, I almost always go to the same chord or whatever sure. it is, and I'm not going to get a lot of originality out of that. But uh, when I'm thinking in terms of a musical theater piece, I'll definitely hear the piece in my head before I even touch a piano. And a lot of times I have, you know, a 16-bar section or something all in my head. So then it's just the challenge of getting it out before it warps, uh, you know, <laughs> as I'm trying to do it, which happens happens to me a lot too. But and that brings up a good point. I would say to any writers listening, you know, try a, try an instrument that's not your main instrument just to kind of get you out of your box a little bit, you know, so you're not kind of doing that same thing that you always do on a ballad or, you know, whatever your kind of patterns might be. The next song we write, I'm writing on Cajon. That sounds good. <laughs> awesome. If, and for those who don't know what a Cajon is, it is a um, box drum. It's a you uh, Latin. A, you sit on it. It's a Latin, uh, basically a box that sounds like a bass and a snare. It's a sexy drum. Sure. <laughs> That's great. My, mine's kazoo. Uh, I'm yeah. going all kazoo on the mine's Comb with wax paper. <laughs> We're getting ready to play a third uh, track from like summer. We're not going to play it. Mm-hmm. It's going to be live, musical world listeners. Yes. Live here on Amy and Steve Lee's Yamaha in the middle of their living room. Mm-hmm. Um, Introduce like summer for us. Here is, like, <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That was like a that was like a Conan moment. Like, okay. Do you want to set up the clip? No, I don't. All right, here's the clip. Oh wait, I got one better because he said introduce it. Have you met like summer? How <laughs> about <laughs> <laughs> your other fans? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. Like summer is sung by a character in a higher place who is in a relationship that is not going the way that she hoped. And she's looking back on the early days of her relationship and um, kind of pining for those. And that's where the idea for Like Summer came from, Um, originally conceived by David Brush. And he brought a lyric to us, and then Steve and I kind of ran with it with the music. And the majority of... um, the musical idea, definitely the chorus, was a moment of Steve sort of having that muse drop in, and he was sitting at the piano and kind of finding the the piano lick for it. So. Well, what I loved about the music of it was mm-hmm. it was a throwback. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh-huh. a 40s ballad in a lot right. of ways. Right. There's a lot of sense of that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I, and actually, this one was really interesting because this is... This is the one that I think really clicked for the three of us collaborating, that that being Amy and, and I and David, um, and because David, <clears throat> excuse me, David kind of came up with the lyric concept, which was "Miss You Like Summer" was kind of I think your original. Yeah. And I don't remember where that came from, but it, yeah, it, 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 it pop- I do, but yes, okay, <laughs> you can talk about that. Um, but but so David wrote the lyrics, and then Amy and I just kind of sat with them for a while and just sort of had them in our head. And then I started hearing this kind of melody and chord progression in my mind that would become the chorus. And so I sat down and did that. And so that was, you know, and and I kind of wanted to do a little bit of a 
Sondheim, kind of a little bit of an into the woods kind of flavor to it. Because I just, that was sort of my thought pattern of how the chorus would work. And I, and I, you know, I, I hope it got there. And even if it didn't, I, I still love the way it turned out. But what's, what's fun about it is then Amy kind of took a whole different direction with the verse. And so the chorus is very me and the, the verse is very Amy. And, and of I course, think, I took your lovely lyric and rearranged it and moved it all around and added, threw sure, some other stuff sure. in there right. to make it work because <laughs> because yeah. that's what you do. Right. That's what happened. That's what you do. That's but right. but what what I think is so great is because it's you really you really get all those elements of all three of us, and I think it gives the song so much variety that way too. Because I feel like the verse and the chorus are almost like different worlds, but it works in the song because it right. really is. It's like. Um, the the verse is very much the character kind of in the moment, and then the chorus is kind of this reflective yes. thing. Back and so I think it really and and you know maybe one writer wouldn't have had that much variety if you didn't. Totally. And it would so that's what mm-hmm. I love about it yeah. is that the verse and the chorus are just so different in this. Well, song. I'm going to say something bold that there will probably be lyricists that will hate me for saying, but I'm going to say because I believe it's true. Oh, but I think that lyricists who get hung up on I didn't put the there, I had a there. Oh aren't good lyricists. It means they're not interested in serving the show. Boom. They're interested in serving themselves. Exactly. And there are people who will hate me for making that comment. But it's really true. Yeah. And that's where the best work comes out of, is that collaborative environment. Mm-hmm. And like, to me, it was all about the concept. Mm-hmm. And on the radio, I had heard a um, about a, a military wife, an army wife, who, and talking about the, the letters that she and her husband had written back and forth. And that they would sign all of their letters with Miss You Like Summer. And I thought, what a cool idea. Mm-hmm. And when you live in Ohio where February sucks, that's very, what talking about. Like, that's a, a cool it's an idea. Image, yeah. It's a you very clear that. image yeah. and deeply romantic. And so I, that was that's really where it began. So the concept wasn't show-related at all, which right. I found to be true often. Like, sure. we've written a lot of things that... I didn't think the concept was show-related, but in context of the show, then it, we were able to sort of talk about it in that regard. Yeah, right. and we did kind of change the lyric quite a bit there from the chorus, because it really was, it was Miss You Like Summer, Yeah, and we ended up missing you like summer. Right. Oh, yeah, that's and a kind huge of, change. Well, no, well, but it is. And yet, but and it, yet is. it is. That's true. Because it then, Because yeah. it changes the vantage point completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. And it, and it made it more reflective, but I think it, like you said, it served the song better. And it made yeah. it more relevant. Like, it made it now. That's what it is. Anyway, <laughs> we can talk about that forever. This, uh, from a higher place, this is live. Amy Lee at the piano, Amy Lee on vocals, right here in the middle of a living room in Ohio on a Yamaha. <laughs> this is like summer. Sure, I could just move on and not think about you. Without you, call off all the ways I've tried to ignore you. I could walk for days through all the doors unopened Shoulder all the weight for just a heart left broken I could walk away Like we never met Like I could just forget But then you're Madness has ended. I find my 
question so you let's say today is the last day you ever write anything okay you never write again do you feel you've achieved what you are you comfortable with what you've achieved as songwriters and if not what's what's the thing you want to do <laughs> hell no and i have no idea <laughs> really i wonder if that's a common answer to that I, question. I think so that would be my answer yeah you think it's the same answer yeah well i think on some level, if you're satisfied with where you are, then you probably should be dead. You know what I mean? I, like, life is all about... reach. I mean, it's a higher place. Just like our the, our musical, it's all about... To answer your question before, David. Going toward that next level. You know, I mean, yeah. not that you 
obviously, I think we all can find pockets of contentment, but I think you're always going to be moving toward something. So, if, if you could name a song that you've written, that this is tough, I know. <laughs> right? I'm a journalist. You saw my eyes go wide at that. <laughs> I mean, it's election <laughs> season. I'm watching a lot of journalists. Um, if there's a song that you've written that you felt like that you had achieved something that was different than the others, you know, mm. a real contentment factor mm. from writing. And, and, I, and I say that because there are still things that I look back on. And I, don't, I mean, Jimmy probably do too, that we've written together where I look at a particular piece that maybe an audience didn't respond to, but I have a particular affection for. Mm-hmm. And so I, because and, and a lot of it for me was always because I knew what went into making that. Like <laughs> I knew the process was a, was terrible or whatever. So I mean, is, is there a piece? Well, like there's that definitely for things that you're going to be proud of that you did that, right? Necessarily isn't going to go over the mob from from German, German soldiers. Soldier. Super proud. Of that them. was yeah. it was a great scene and it was great musically and it was great everything else, but. I, I'm going to go right out on a very short limb and say that was underappreciated. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, but but when we look back at it, you look at it and go, that's cool. Right. Yeah. Like that is an achievement. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And, but I think there are different levels too of of what you're talking about. I mean, on one level, you could say, you know, maybe the crowning achievement as a songwriter is to have a song that everyone knows. You know, Send in the Clowns, mm-hmm. okay? Just about everybody knows Send in the Clowns. Regardless of genre. So would Sondheim say... Define gravity. Sure, sure, sure. So would Sondheim yeah. say, that's definitely my best work? Maybe not. But the point being that, you know, for, for Sondheim himself, maybe that acclaim is not what he wants. I mean, maybe that's not his ultimate goal. Maybe it's to write this one song that does this certain thing, that you know, whatever. And... There are multiple ones, I think, too. You know, um, like Summer, which you just listened to, it's like that one for me was one of those where it, I felt like it just really clicked and I got the musical idea exactly as I wanted it. So I'm really proud of that because that's exactly how I heard it in my head and now that's exactly how it is. And that's one of the few times that I've been able to totally achieve that. When you completely capture that? Yeah. yeah. Because often for me, I have this idea in my head that's better, at least to me, better than it than it ends up being because I can't quite translate it exactly as I want it, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Because it changes in the process right. or something. Sure. How long is too long to spend on a song in the writing process? Oh, good God. Well, I think 47 years is clearly too much. <laughs> to answer, I mean, to kind of go along with your previous question, too, I think that you have to allow yourself to have that sense of achievement a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, because there's that, there's that idea that you're never really going to be done, but at some point you have to say, okay, it's good enough. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's a a cop out. Don't cop out at all. I mean, people who know me personally, I'm a perfectionist. I won't want to keep working and working and working, but at some point you have to say, okay, it's doing what it needs to be doing. It's, you know, it's, manifested as completely as I feel I can do right now, sure. I'm going to let it go out into the world and be what it is. And, and you and have to allow yourself to feel that sense What of amount of time is that yeah. for you? It's, it it vary? completely varies. Yeah, it can be a day. Like, some, sometimes magic happens and then a song is done, you know, in a day or a session. But more often it's, I guess, weeks mm-hmm. and sometimes months and months or years and years. 
I've had songs last years. <laughs> I have heard it said that if you spend three years on a musical, that's two years too long. Hmm. Really? And I think it's a good sort of mantra in a way hmm. that forces you to be organic, you know, and and understand that what you created is what you created and yeah. this is what it is and you know that's sort of the moment do you find that that's true i mean in terms of songwriting do you ever just have to go whatever it is with this i'm not completely pleased but it is what it is definitely you know bit. yeah yeah well, i mean there's that famous quote about film that you know films are never finished they're just abandoned <laughs> you know because like right. you run out of time right. you run out of budget you run out of whatever and you just it's got to ship you know like yeah, it's got to yeah, be yeah. what it is yeah and so you do what you can do. Yeah, I mean, and as artists, I don't think, or as like musical, you know, composers or whatever, you maybe don't always have those kind of deadlines, especially like early on. You can just sort of take your time, but mm -hmm. later on, I think especially that starts to get, you know, like this has got to be done by this. We've got a production date. Sure. You know, and and you can always tweak and you can always continue to grow it, but. At some point, you just have to kind of like put it out there in the world and and see how it does. And it's not going to be perfect, right? And you know that, you know. Mm -hmm. But you know, if there's one thing that I've learned from learning more about the production process and the and the creative process, and that's that you just have to. There's a lot of knowledge that you get from seeing it on stage and doing a production that you just can't get any other way. Right. And you know, so if you're sitting there. Thinking, well, it's it's not perfect yet. It's not perfect yet. It can't be on its what? feet yet it's not because gonna, it's not perfect. It's yeah. never going to be perfect, you know. I'm sure, you know, going back to Sondheim, I'm sure he watches, you know, Company and says, "God, I wish I'd changed that verse." Sure, I'm sure. You, know? you are Still. in you are in Sondheim world yeah, today, my friend. Yeah, like yeah. the guy. We we speak a lot about the three Stevens in this house, which doesn't doesn't include Steve in, oh, in this what? instance. What? Son, Sondheim, Schwartz, and Flaherty. Ah, okay. <laughs> with of course Lynn Aaron. The great you know. Steve, the great Steves. <laughs> so I, we haven't gotten to this yet, but I want to ask you. So in the in the world of musical theater, which I'm sure is different as a songwriter. I mean, the industry is different, of course, than pop country folk, what have you. Um, we have noticed a severe lack of women presence in the songwriting end of the business. And we've talked to some great ones, um, Julianne Wick Davis and uh, Kay Kerrigan. So, I mean, we, we've talked to a bunch of them. Yeah, but in, in, the, in a general sense, as you all discovered too at NAMT, it's thin. Do you have a, do you have a thought about why that is? or That's why I'm here, David. And that's why I hate it so much. So, actually, we're, You're welcome. Our, we're beginning the first three episodes of this this season of Musical World with women. I mean, we're strong women representation. You must be attracting the women, Jim. Well done. Yeah, that's what it is. Well, well done. So what's your sense of... Are, are you shocked? Does that surprise you? And if so, like, what's, the, what's your sense of that? I'm frustrated, as I always am, when I see that sort of unbalance by that but you know I mean it may just be a case of traditionally it's been been a role that's filled by men and it's not often questioned I'm not sure I mean as as a woman I don't feel intimidated in any way by you know the the musical writing community I don't know what do you think Steve <laughs> I don't know it's hard to pin down why why there's such a disparity there. 
you know, it, it doesn't really make sense that it would be, you know, kind of less than 50-50. And I don't really... Mm-hmm. I mean, because certainly, as far as actors and as far as, you know, pit musicians and all that kind of stuff, I think you see a pretty good mix. You do. You know, and a Play cast it. is... A cast is... I mean, if you look at, a, at the general kind of average cast of a show... Right. It's generally 50-50. I don't think so. And, well, okay. But... But a lot of casters are still male heavy. Still male heavy. Yeah. Interesting. But certainly, you know, a, a greater mix than than maybe you see in the writing teams. And right. I don't know. What, Actually, you know, what is it about musicals? Early, that early, to... early on, when I was like, you know, preteen, that was one of the reasons that I got it into my head that I wanted to write a musical because I would be in shows and there were twice as many girls auditioning for shows as there were guys, mm-hmm. but twice as many guy roles as there were were girl roles. Right. And I was yeah. like, this is so unfair. And it's, and, you know, and I just assumed that it was because guys were writing the shows because most of the shows that I did when I was a kid were composed and written by men. Sure. So I was like, well, darn it. I'm going to write a musical and it's going to be all girls. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Well, but I mean, think about that. I mean, You'd be able a, to cast it. Right. From a no female, female writing perspective, I mean, who's working commercially now? Janine Tesori. Mm-hmm. Lynn Aarons. Right, that's about where I stop. Yeah. I mean, working commercially. We've talked to a couple of teams over the years, though. That sure. Mossy and Brooke. Yeah, Mossy and Brooke were sympathy. But, I mean, who are really, really, you know, consistently working in the industry on commercial prod. You know, we're not, seeing any, we're not seeing any of them move into that level, is what I'm getting at. I mean, that's not even happening. And yet, they're writing these what have become legendary female characters. Uh, but I love this idea that there's a there's a room for that, so I don't see where there's a... Like, why the dichotomy? And when well, and, and how can it change? Like, that I, becomes the next I question. don't know if it's that there aren't as many women writing, or if it's just that there aren't as many women that are being recognized, that are, you know, being found, or you know, participating in workshops and developments and right. up and coming in that manner. You know, I, I'm not sure which it is or if it's mm-hmm. a combination of both. Mm-hmm. I mean, David, you having asked the question, I wonder what you think might play into that. I don't know. I have to say, it's it shocks me all the time. I think it shocks me all the time that there aren't more women writing, period. I guess... If I'm throwing the question back at you, is, is this the same thing? And maybe you would be able to answer, too. It, do we see the same thing in pop and country and folk? Are we seeing the same? Is it the same trend? I don't think so. I, think I don't a know lot that of I'm female. qualified, really, to, to answer that across the board. I think I, of Diana Warren, right? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I don't, I don't think know. that there's necessarily it's, such a it dichotomy. seems like there's a lot of women songwriters, writers, yeah. songwriters of country yeah. and pop and yeah you know that kind of thing I'd, seems yeah. like it to me but most genre most other genres i think it seems like pretty a more so what know, do we do about this more of folks. a balance yeah <laughs> well amy, yeah, let's solve this right now what are we gonna do amy lee <laughs> writes more musicals that's what happens <laughs> that's what we need it's a good start to qualify do i have to write it by myself though because i like working with you guys i kind of don't want to stop See, she even needs the men. They will yeah. put a dress on. See, even oh, I didn't say I need. <laughs> oh, see, don't turn my words around. <laughs> see, even our writing team is is more men than women. 
Yeah. It's men heavy. That's it. I'm br- we're bringing on another woman. That's how it's going to be. Oh, the that show's be over. Sweet. We're done. <laughs> I'm not even sure how we make three work. So. <laughs> right. That's so true. Well, I, I, I want to take um, the time to thank you, Amy and Steve, for being with us on our 96th episode. I'm sorry you're not the 100th. It's right. We promised to mention you on the yeah, 100th. But we'll deal with I was going to say, maybe it'll happen. <laughs> Who knows, Jim? There'll be a big concert around Christmas in your backyard. In your backyard, yeah. yeah. We'll all wear coats. Yeah, sure. That'll be big brilliant. bonfire. <laughs> Uh, on the way out, we're going to be playing a piece called You Are Made of Stars. Do you want to set that up for us? Sure. Steve, go. Okay. Um, we had the idea, we we are both people who meditate, and we had the idea a while back of doing some meditation music together as just sort of a project, and um, we are sort of calling that part of it, or we're calling ourselves Leland, and um, our last name is L-E-I-G-H, so it's Leland. Um, and that's about it. We, um, we're planning to hopefully release these as kind of digital downloads, um, somewhere along the way. A single track, so it's not necessarily right. even an album. It's not so much like an album per se, because anymore that's just kind of outdated and we probably will never actually make physical CDs of it, but, um, we just wanted to kind of explore that and sort of, um, have fun with that genre when and some electronic music and you know it, it came from listening to a lot of um, meditation music and guided visualizations meditations that are underscored by music and getting into that genre and thinking hmm, this is something that, that we could do and um, wanted to experiment with that a little and sometimes sort of finding a lack of of good meditation music out there. Not that there isn't a lot of good meditation, but um, sometimes the music that's used for the kind of guided meditations we want to do is just sort of like not that great a quality. And we thought, you know, people should be doing more really good meditation music, the kind that we want to hear. And so that kind of brought that whole project out to, to sort of because we automatically assume that what we want to hear is what everyone wants that's to hear. Not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> You're just taking it <laughs> So anyway, that's what, that's what Leland is about, and that's what the track is. Okay. Thank you again, Amy and Steve, for being with Thank us. Thank you so much, I guys. I appreciate your hospitality. This was mm-hmm. great yes, fun. Thank you for hospitality. Hospitality, as it were. <laughs> Please stay tuned in. We still have upcoming episodes, one in particular about crowdsource funding yep. uh, online. We've talked to several composing teams who use it successfully, yep. and we've got some pros and cons. So that will be one you want yep. to tune into. And we're ever closer to our 100th episode. We're Something going to amazing will be happening. Stephen Cole. Oh, that's right. Stephen, Stephen Cole is going to be doing a... Um, one of his special episodes. Yeah, and we might be talking to these three again, getting a brain all download from New York last week. Oh, right, that's true. We, so stay tuned. We may have an NAMT <laughs> follow-up um, from festival yeah. here coming shortly. So uh, on the way out, thank you again to Amy and Steve Lee. This is You Are Made of Stars.
This podcast is part of the Blueberry Network. You can find this and other podcasts just like it at blueberry.com. That's blueberry with no ease.com.